Yehuda Geber with another podcast of Jewish History Soundbites. Um, today we'll talk a little bit about the early days of Yeshiva's Torah of Adas, uh, following the founding, um, which was discussed in an earlier podcast. We'll talk a little bit about the early leaders of Torah of Adas, this incredible institution which completely changed the landscape of Jewish educational life. Um, the yeshivas founded uh, as a as an elementary school, and early on, in 1922, they hire Reb Feivel Mendelovich um, to be the menahel, to be the principal of this school. He's a visionary, he's a builder, he doesn't feel like uh, he's satisfied with just having a small elementary school in Williamsburg that's going to educate Jewish children. We need to build, we need to expand, we need to have more. So he decides in 1926 to open what he calls a Masifta. Now, what's a Masifta? Masifta was a name that was used in yeshivas. A Ram is a Rosh Masifta. It was used in Bavel. It was used by the Ga'inim in Bavel. It was used throughout the Lithuanian yeshiva world as a someone who was a Magid Shir, someone who gave a Shir in the yeshiva. So the word was well known, and the actual definition of the word was yeshiva, but he didn't want to call it a yeshiva. And the reason was is because in those days, and to a certain extent till today, a yeshiva in the United States meant an elementary school. And even though in Lita, in Lithuania, in the yeshiva world, it meant a yeshiva for older guys, but in America it didn't, and he wanted to differentiate, so he calls it a masifta. By the way, at the same time, the Gerrebbe, the Emrahemis, had a yeshiva in Warsaw, which was an elite yeshiva for Gerrebbe Bachram and other Polish Hasidic Bachram, which was called the Masifta of Warsaw, which is a story in itself, perhaps for another time. Now that he has a Masifta, which is a high school level yeshiva, this is revolutionary at the time. There's almost no other uh, place that has it. There is a little bit here and there, a couple on the Lower East Side, but pretty much this is one of the first ones. And now he needs a Rosh Yeshiva, so he starts to look around. And he starts to hire him, and it's not just him, it's the board. The board of Tervedas is the one who really runs it, together with Rishag of Fival. And they're looking for a Rosh Yeshiva. Now at the time, the Rishag of Fival's vision was that he wanted the learning He's building Torah in America. He wants the learning to be top-level learning, and he uses the Litvish yeshivas, the Lithuanian yeshiva world, as a model for learning. And therefore, he starts a tradition which continues pretty much till this very day of hiring Litvish Russia yeshiva for his yeshiva. Even though he himself had never been to Lithuania, he had never learned in any of those yeshivas. He was a product of Hungary and the Hungarian yeshivas. He was from a Hasidic background, but he makes this decision to hire Lithuanian Rosh Yeshiva. The first one who he hires is a very, very famous American person, American Yeshiva personality, Reb David Leibovitz, Reb David Leibovitz. Reb David Leibovitz was known in Europe as Reb David Varshover, Reb David of Warsaw. He was a grandson of the Chafetz Chaim's older, or oldest brother, rather, Reb Aaron. And, and he um, had learned both by his great uncle, the Chavetz Chaim, in Radin. He had also learned in Slabotka. He considered himself a product of Slabotka. 
Not only did he learn both those places when he was a single Bachar, but he also continued to learn in different stages, obviously, in both those places when he got married. He was one of the founding members of the Slabatka Kail, which was a breakoff of the Kovna Kail before it rejoined the Kovna Kail, which is also a story in itself. And he, he definitely um, was one of the founding members of that and learned there for several years. He also learned by his great uncle in the Kachim Kail of the Chavetz Chaim had in Radin. Now, part of the system of the Slabatka Kail was that after several years, you had to go fundraising for the Kail. This was something that brought many or several famous Slabatkers to America. Rogaki Kamenetsky came in a similar fashion later on to the United States. And Rebdavid Leibowitz ends up in America in around the year 1926-1927. And he immediately gets contacted by Rav Feivel and the board of Taravidas to be hired as the first Rosh Hashiva. And he takes up the position. He stays there for several years. Um, and uh, he's the Rashiva, he's the original Rosh Hashiva. The Talmidim loved him. They were very close with him. He was a very, very dynamic and charismatic personality. And he was a tremendous Balmusser, a real, real Slabotker, a real, real product of the Musser Yeshiva of Slabotka, of the altar of Slabotka. And he permeated the atmosphere of the Yeshiva with that with that, with that chinuch, with that educational philosophy. That educational philosophy did not exactly match up with what Rav Feivel had in mind. The two of them disagreed on educational methods, on are we making a Musr yeshiva, are we making a model of Slabatka, are we making something different with a little bit of Litvish learning and Litvish alumnus and Litvish Musr. And uh, the two of them didn't exactly see eye to eye. So at some point, Rav David Leibowitz breaks off takes some of his Talmidim with him, and he founds his own yeshiva. He leaves in 1933. 1933 is also the same year that his great-uncle, the Chavetz Chaim, dies. So here, the Chavetz Chaim had just died, his great-uncle, who was his Rebbe, back in Europe. He's starting a new yeshiva, so he names it after the Chavetz Chaim, but ironically, the atmosphere of the yeshiva, the chinuch of the yeshiva, is really more reminiscent of Slabatka, which is a claim that the yeshiva tries to uphold till this very day that they are uh, somehow connected to the Slabatka tradition. And that's something that Rabbi David Leibowitz uh, brought to the yeshiva. Another interesting Radin connection is that after Rabbi David Leibowitz tragically dies quite young, he was only 52 years old when he dies at the end of 1941, and his only son, Rabbi Leibowitz, becomes the Rosh Hashiva for an extremely long time, for over 60 years, and he um, becomes Rosh Hashiva. He uh, never had children, unfortunately, but his wife was the daughter of Rabbi Avram Trupp, who was the Radin Rosh Hashiva, the son of Rabbi Naftali Trupp, the uh, Radin Rosh Hashiva. So there you have in that Chavetz Chaim Yeshiva another, Chavetz, another Radin connection somehow, and of course a Slabatko one as well. Interestingly enough, Rabbi David Leibowitz, when he dies, um, he's, he dies on Erev Shabbos, and it was in December of 1941. They push off the Levaya to Sunday, which ended up being December 7th, 1941. And President Roosevelt said on that day that it's a day that will live in infamy, because that was the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. And for the American yeshiva world, it was also a day that lived in infamy, because one of the architects one of the founders 
one of the leaders of the early Torah in America, was Rav David Leibowitz, and his Leviah was that day. So that's, in 1933, he left. The next one who's hired is Rabyankiv Kantorovich. Rabyankiv Kantorovich was a student of Valozhin, an old-school Valozhiner. He not only was a Talmud of Valozhin, but he was one of the founding members of the Bratsky Koilo, the famous tea magnet Bratsky from Kiev. He sponsored one of the first Koilos in Lithuania, actually in Valozhin, and that had a part in refounding of the Valozhin Yeshiva at some point. Um, and, um, and, and he was one of the founding members, learned there for several years, only came home a couple of times a year during that time. And he becomes a Rav in Uzda um, after he gets married. He married a, a Davidovich, who had several famous sons-in-law. One of them was Rabbi David Feinstein, the father of Ramesha Feinstein. Another one was Rabbi Elia Feinstein, who was not related. Rabbi Elia Prusiner, who he came to be known as. Um, he was the Rav of Prusian, not far from Brisk. And he, um, Rabbi Yankiv Kantorovich, married a third sister. So he's a brother-in-law of Rabbi Elia Prusiner and Rabbi David Feinstein. He marries another sister, he becomes the Rav in Uzda. He stays there under the communists and remains a Rav under the communist oppression. But at some point, it becomes impossible to stay there. And he gets out of communist Russia. He makes it to the United States. And he becomes the Rav in Trenton, New Jersey. Incredibly enough, there was a Jewish community in Trenton, New Jersey. Hard to believe today, but places like Newark and places like Trenton and places like other uh, New Jersey towns that dotted the landscape were full of Jewish life, shuls, communities, communal life, and um, he was the rabbi there. He was an active member in the Aguda Sarabonim, the American uh, um, society of rabbis, which was very, very powerful, very large, and very active at that time. He was a leading member. And in 1933, he is hired by Rabbi to be the next Rosh Hashiva of, of Tarevedas. And that would have been very nice, and it would have lasted longer, but they didn't have a lot of luck in those days, Tarevadas. And he ends up getting hurt in a car accident. He would come from Trenton, New Jersey, to Williamsburg in Brooklyn, uh, three times a week to give shiurim and to be with the Talmudim. And, um, and, uh, and he got into a car accident when he got very sick. He was out of commission for a long time, and even when he returned to... His health, he wasn't fully healthy, he wasn't able to be a full-time Rosh Hashiva anymore. But interestingly enough, he still somewhat retained his position. He still gave Shi'urim in the Yeshiva every once in a while. He was still the Masmich, the one who gave and signed on the Smichas until he died in 1946, which he even outlived the next Rosh Hashiva of Tayyar interestingly enough. But um, that, that position did not last long. So they are on the lookout for a new Rosh Hashiva. And Rosh Hashiva Fival this time takes it very seriously. And again, you're talking about someone who is Hungarian, who was never in Lithuania, who was never part of the Lithuanian Yeshiva world. And he turns to essentially someone who's a stranger, to Rabbi Chaim Oizer Grzynski, the Godladar, the leader of the Jewish people as a Paisik, as a leader, um, as, as also the head of the Vadha Yeshivas, who who ran the yeshiva world at that time, and he writes him a letter and asks him to recommend the Rosh Hashiva. He also says specifically 
can you recommend your brother-in-law? Chaim Eisner, in his second marriage, married the daughter of Rameir Atlas, so he was a brother-in-law of Rebbe Chonon Wasserman, the Rosh Hashiva of Baranovich. And he said, maybe you could recommend him to become the Rosh Hashiva in Taravidas. Rebbe Chaim Eisner says, I don't think uh, Rebbe Chonon is going to work out. He, he says to him, I don't think he's going to want to leave Baranovich. There probably were other reasons as well. Didn't think that it would be the best matchup in the world for him to be in America, for him to be in a yeshiva like um, what Shraga Feivel had in mind. And therefore, the Rebbe Chonon uh, connection did not work out. However, Rebbe Chaim Eisner, being that he took the responsibilities of himself as a way he saw himself as a leader of the Jewish people, as a leader of the yeshiva world, wherever they are, he decides to recommend someone else to be the yeshiva. And he takes someone from a yeshiva that he was responsible for. There was a very famous yeshiva in Vilna, which probably is a topic for another time, the Ramailis yeshiva. And the reason it has such a funny name is because the original uh, person who donated his courtyard to build the yeshiva was a fellow by the name of Reb Maila. So it was Reb Maila's courtyard, it was the yeshiva. So it was called the Ramailis yeshiva. And eventually the people who were the Rabbanim, the part of the Bezdin of Vilna, they were the ones in charge. And Rebbe Chaim took personal responsibility of the Ramayla's yeshiva in his capacity as the Avbezdin, the head of the Vilna Bezdin. He was, head of, he was on the Vilna Bezdin for 55 years, and he was head of the Bezdin for most of that uh, time. So he is in charge of the Ramayla's yeshiva. He put his brother as the Rosh Yeshiva there. And one of the Rabbeim in the yeshiva was Reb Shleima Hyman. Reb Shleima Hyman was known as the Paritcher Ilui. He was um, a famous Ilui, a Talmud of Rebarch Ber. When he got married to a Rudensky from Valozhin, he became a nephew of Reb Simcha Zelig Rieger, one of the biggest Paiskim in the Lithuanian world at the time, the Dayan of Brisk. And he um, is offered this position. He becomes the Rashiva of Taravadas. And he's a famous Rashiva of Taravadas. He remains the dynamic and He's an Eloi, a Talmud Chacham, a father to his Talmidim, tremendous, tremendous person. He remained the Rashiva there till 1944, till his, again, untimely death. And again, they are stuck without a Rosh Hashiva. And ironically, he's, he was a Talmud of Rebarch Ber. When Rebarch Ber's Yeshiva was still in Slabatka, it was the non Musri Yeshiva in Slabatka, which is again a topic for another podcast and a Slabatka podcast for our tours to Slabatka, where we talk about the two different yeshivas, and he succeeded Reb Shleima Hyman as a Rosh Yeshiva of Tervadas by two other Slabatkas. They were from the other Slabatka yeshiva, Talmidim of the altar of Slabatka, the Musar yeshiva in Slabatka, first Reb Ruvin Grzovsky, and then Reb Yankiv Kamenetsky. However, there's another personality that I want to mention that was originally hired as first a Rebbe, then a Menahel, then he was the, the uh, Rosh Yeshiva, he was the Masmich of the Yeshiva, a very, very interesting fellow, uh, Rosh Yeshiva named Reb Meisha Doiv Berivkin. Reb Meisha Doiv Berivkin was in Tervedas for 48 years, almost a half a century. A tremendous Paisik. He was a, a man of the Shulchan Aruch, and he was the Masmich of Tervedas. And he famously would write the Smichas for Tervedas. He gave Smicha to hundreds of people, and very often he would write the Smicha. And on the back of the smicha, he would write Ramesha, Ramesha Feinstein's phone number. So that the guy 
who just got the smicha would be able to know who to call in case he had any issues, in case he had any questions. And Ramesh Dov Berifkin would hand the smicha to the new young rabbi and say, maybe just good advice from an older Paisik, use the back of the smicha more than the front. And uh, that was the advice he used to give to the people he gave smicha to. He was a Lubavitcher chassid who was very, very close with the Rashab, the fifth Rebbe of Chabad. He was very close to the Friedeke Rebbe, the sixth Rebbe of Chabad. He was a, he learned in the yeshiva of Taim Chetamimim in, uh, in, uh, in Lubavitch before World War I and then when it moved to Rostov. And he actually became the Rishish, one of the Rebbeim in Taim Chetamimim when he was still single. And then the Friedeke Rebbe, the Rayat, sent him to Eretz Yisrael to be to rebuild the, the yeshiva's Tairas Emes of Chabad, which is the yeshiva in Yerushalayim of Chabad that still exists today. During that time, he was a person who was in, managed to always get along with people. And during the time he was in Eretz Yisrael, he managed to become very close with both Rav Chaim Zonenfeld and Rav Cook, both at the same time. And eventually he comes, he was sent by the Friedrich Rebbe after he comes, escapes from communist Russia in 1927. He sends... Um, the, the Rav Moshe Dov Berifkin to America to raise money for the Taim Chetamimim and he stays there. He's hired by Tayyar Vadas and he stays there for the rest of his life. He's there until 1975 when he, I'm sorry, 1976 when he passed away. Shortly before he passed away he had a fallout with the with the last Rebbe of Chabad. There was a issue in Eretz Yisrael, Israeli politics, of who is a Jew controversy. And a Mizrahi leader said some disparaging remarks in the, from the Knesset floor about rabbinical leaders. And the Lubavitch Rebbe wanted to uh, have people sign a macho, a protest against this. And Ramesha Daibarifkin, for whatever reason, did not want to sign this. And people forged his signature. So he went out against the people who forged his signature. A very interesting story. And he had a fallout with the Lubavitch Rebbe. But he always considered himself a Lubavitcher Chassid, a Chassid Neman to his Rebbe, a Rashiva in Tervidas, and a tremendous, tremendous Paisik for his people. Actually, his son was the last chief rabbi of St. Louis, possibly the last chief rabbi in the United States, just died a few years ago. And his son in law was an interesting personality, Reb Aaron Ben Sian Shurin, who was a journalist for the Yiddish paper, the Forverts. Um, a Litvashayid from Ritava in Lithuania, learned in Tells and other places in Lumjan Eretz Yisrael, wrote thousands of articles over a 60-year career for the Yiddish paper, and wrote biographies, a very a lot of history, full of rich, uh, beautiful writer, and a lot of uh, very interesting personality himself. He also lived a long life. He was um, almost 100 years old when he died, also not, not long ago. That was his son and son-in-law. So Ramesha Dei Berifkin is a major part of the Torah Vedas story as well. This was Yehudi Geberer with the Jewish History Soundbites. Um, you can email me for tours of, to learn more about these amazing people and amazing places. Um, you can email me, ygebss at gmail.com. Subscribe now to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Don't miss an episode of our podcasts. If you enjoy, give us a five-star rating, share it with your friends and family, and you can follow us on Twitter as well at jsoundbites. We hope you enjoy.